invite your congregation to turn to the Gospel of Mark tonight, we'll to Mark chapter 5. We'll be reading the first 20 verses of that chapter, which is the focus for the message tonight where Jesus heals the demon-possessed man in the region of the Gerasenes on the other side. Indeed, how mercy comes to the other side, or how Christ brings mercy to a sin-tattered world. Last time I was here, I was able to talk about how Christ brings peace to a sin-tattered church. But now, how he brings peace to us, or rather mercy to a sin-tattered world. These words, Mark 5, they, Jesus and his disciples, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell it in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Thus our reading from God's holy word. May he bless it to us. 
What happens here, dear congregation, the circumstances here is something of a horror. A demon-possessed man whose life is unraveled and is in decay, whose life has come to a dead end. You can only imagine it if it was your son, if it was your brother, your cousin, your best friend. So, how's it going with the family? What is your son up to? Well, you know, he's taken over the, the family business. Little uh, Abraham there is, uh, he's, you know, our, our freight business with donkeys and all. He's there, he's there doing great. And what about you? Well, you know, my son is studying to be a rabbi. Levi's doing quite well, thank you. And what about your son? Oh, sorry. He's the demon-possessed one. He's the crazy that roams the hills and the, the cemeteries, the tombs, naked and wild and crazy. He's the demon-possessed man. Oh, we forgot. Not really. A dead-end life? A dead-end existence? A broken world? A sin-tattered world. That's what, we, what Jesus discovers when he gets to the other side. See, geographically, he'd been on what would, for us, you know, the west side of the Sea of Galilee. And that was mostly still intact covenant turf. Promised land where you still found people trying to worship God. But you cross over to the other side and you discover cities by a Greek designation, the ten cities, Decapolis. You get to the other side and you find a Greekified culture. You get to the other side where you didn't find faithfulness, but you met more with rank unbelief, as evidenced also in this economy surrounding hogs for when the dietary laws are still in place, right? You find, as Jesus comes to the other side, a world broken and epitomized, not only in their unbelief, but this, this demon-possessed man, possessed by a legion of demons that they can't control. A horror. The sort of thing that young people would do on a Friday night. Let's go try to catch a glimpse of Demon Man. There he is. Run for your life. <laughs> That's the kind of oh, teenagers are that way back then too. Yeah. And scolding mothers. You stay away from that, that crazy, that, that demon. That's dangerous. He can't even be bound with chain. And now here comes Jesus Christ. He had calmed the storm and brought marvel and amazement to his disciples. Who is this who controls wind and wave? And now they're on the other side to the secular turf. The world of unbelief. What do you expect? And what is he met with? Who's the welcoming committee? A demon-possessed man. 
We want to look at this mercy to the other side, Christ's mercy to a sin-tattered world, or if you wish, how he brings life to dead places. Now, it's important we think about that because we are called to be salt and light and to proclaim the gospel of life in a world that knows death. It's important we think how God, through Jesus Christ, is always able to blast through mountains of unbelief, how where there's obstacles and dead ends, he finds a new avenue, a path through. And that's what we find here. Because he comes to this other side, the land of the Gerasenes, and the disciples are there with him. And as they do so, as I noted, the, the welcoming committee is this demon-possessed man. When Jesus got out of the boat, verse 2 there, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs. That's where he hung. The whole thing's creepy and awful. Uh, comes to meet him. And we're, they make a point to describe him, living among the tombs, going about naked, mutilating himself, cutting himself with stones, screaming day and night among the tombs, and they can't handle this legion of demons that possesses him. He sees Jesus, and he runs to Jesus. He sees Jesus. Isn't it always interesting in the Bible how all sorts of people question who is Jesus and all of that, but the demons always get it. Demons always know exactly who he is. The demons are always submissive and surrendered and pleading, right? They get it. It's, I mean, demons are smarter than most human beings in that department. They, they at least get who Jesus is, and he gets it. And he screams at the top of his voice, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Wow. He even gets that he's Son of God, Most High God. The demons know who Jesus is, and the demons know that he has authority over them. Swear to me you won't torture me. He knows that he has power to cast them into the abyss and into hell. Jesus had said upon, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Come out of the man. And here they are arguing with Jesus. So he asks, what's your name? Legion. There's many of us. This, so this is no ordinary demon possession where perhaps a demon but a legion of demons occupies him. Here's a man, again, who has a dead-end life. There seems to be no hope on the horizon. What can be his destiny but finally to die from his self-mutilation and this possession or some terrible disease he catches as he lives among the tombs and such? I mean, it is... Talk about a broken heart, and anyone who had known him and loved him 
just being at their wit's end. Here's a dead-end life, a dead-end relationship, a dead-end son, no future. But Jesus crosses to the other side with mercy to give. They beg not to be sent out of the area because this is the sort of turf they like. This is a region in which there's not a lot of faith to uh, upset the apple cart, so to speak, of unbelief and the things demons are about. We note that there's a large herd of pigs. We're just told this, it's almost incidental, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Now again, if you know the dietary laws, that, that this is covenant turf. It was originally supposed to be land for uh, Gad, the half Reuben, half tribe of Manassas, that area. But like so much of the conquest, it hadn't gone particularly well. And then through the centuries, there had been all kinds of unbelief and spiritual compromise and various occupying territories and armies. The last before the Romans was the Greek, and that's Greek culture still permeated all over the place. That's why the New Testament itself is written in the Greek language. That's the influence of the conquering of Alexander the Great and spreading Greek culture and architecture and all the rest. So the Jews themselves had either been totally swallowed up by this Hellenism, this Greekified culture, or at least had been influenced by it. So much so that the New Testament is written this way. But the main thing here to see is Raising hogs in covenant turf bespeaks spiritual compromise. And whoever these people are uh, who are part of the pig economy, it's not honoring the laws of Moses. Now, later, Jesus, you know, uh, does away with these dietary laws, declares all foods clean. But that's not this now. Rather, it gives testimony to the sort of bankrupt world that he's entered. We're, we're told there there was about 2,000 of them, and the, the demons plead to go into the pigs. Perhaps, I, I've never quite understood this, I'm not sure it's understandable whether the pigs being filled with demons were in such a panic they cast themselves, or the demons themselves drove the pigs off the cliff, but it's a horror. It's just carnage and wreckage and drowning and wreathing animals in this lake and all this death and all this brokenness and this wretchedness, rotting pig carcasses in the Sea of Galilee. But see, that is the wreckage of sin and evil and the devil, right? It's, it's not... He'll decorate himself as an angel of light, but it's always, it's always decay underneath. The Pharisees could be likened to whitewashed tombs. Oh, look, freshly painted, looks beautiful. But what's on the inside? Death and rot, right? That's what evil always does. When we are filled with hatred or bitterness or anger, or uh, raging lust, or whatever it is, 
We can put on happy church smiles, but underneath, look, it's rot, and we know it. Because it's not of Christ and of God, but of the evil one. So you have this, this horror, the horror of the demon-possessed man. Now these demons lifted from out of him into the pigs. And now this, this carnage and wreckage and, and this decaying uh, pork in, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the Sea of Galilee, more wreckage. Those who witness this, those tending the pigs, run to town. And spread the word. Run to the countryside. Spread the word. I mean, this is newsworthy stuff. Because now, suddenly, the one who couldn't be bound, the one that everyone was terrified of, suddenly, they don't even know what's really become of him. They've just seen what the, 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 this, this wreckage of the demon's coming into this herd of pigs and what ensues. I think it's uh, important for us congregation to appreciate that the sort of region Jesus comes into is the sort of world in which we pretty much have to expect today. In other words, on the other side you know, uh, Dorothy and Toto were not in Kansas anymore. Uh, <laughs> and so it is in a secularizing North American culture. America the beautiful is becoming a fast post-Christian nation, not a Christian nation. So we can't expect that even with a BBS program, if you can get the children of unbelievers to come, you can't assume They've imbibed any of that stuff that was normal to you growing up. It's not that world anymore. In fact, uh, so many people come from a sin-tattered set of circumstances with broken lives, broken marriages. In fact, some people would say dead-end lives, dead-end marriages, dead-end jobs, dead-end future, dead-end debt. I can't see my way out of it. We live in a world where there's a lot of hurting people who need mercy to come to their side of the street, if I may speak that way. Come to their turf where there's brokenness and evil, where everything looks hopeless. I mean, who would have thought there was any hope for this demon-possessed man roaming the tombs? Who, who saw that one coming? But it did. Who saw mercy for him? But what kind of person needs mercy? The, the ones that are all fixed up already? The ones who deserve it more? Is that how it works? Well, yeah, you're, you're better. You're a lesser sinner than that one. You don't need, at least you don't have demons in you, so you deserve mercy, he doesn't. That's not how it works. You better hope that's not how it works. You see, God sees hearts. And he sees not only wandering little prodigal son, little younger brother sins, scandalous whoremongering sins, 
he sees pinched of heart, stingy, and I will not be amazed by amazing grace sins, older brother sins. I mean, that's who the older brother was. There's amazing grace happening here. I want no part of it. I'll sing it in church, but oh, amazing wretch like me. But not a wretch like him. Is that how we think? Mercy comes to a wretch like him. Demon man. And mercy comes to wretches like us. Maybe older brother sinners. Where there's dead end, dead end hearts, new life. Where there's death, rebirth. Where there's shameful sins, cleansing. Where I don't see an answer, wait patiently and let God change you. And finally, when we reach the dead end of death itself, resurrection and new hope, grace, mercy in Jesus. Well, that, as I said, from this wreckage that we find here, the next thing we discover alongside this wreckage is, uh, I've got to look at my notes, resistance. <laughs> Because the town people show up, okay, went from a welcoming committee of one demon-possessed man and a, a pleading committee of demons. Now the, the people come for themselves from this town and countryside. And what do they discover? They came to Jesus, verse 15. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they gave glory to God. Nope. And they were afraid. Well, I thought they were supposed to be afraid because he's filled with demons. Now they're afraid because he's all fixed up. Because the holy is coming to their midst of unholiness. Adam and Eve were afraid when they had fallen away from God and God comes a calling. They're afraid. They hide. They're ashamed. Don't get too close. Every preacher on an airplane has experienced people who suddenly are afraid of him. So you can have a wonderful conversation. You can talk about sports. You can talk about, uh, you know, economy. You can talk about U.S. history. I mean, just topics all over. What do you do for a living? Well, I marry people. I bury people. I, I proclaim the greatest news that's ever been heard. Of, oh, are you some sort of preacher or something? Exactly. Oh. <laughs> They're afraid. <laughs> I want to talk to that guy. <laughs> How did I get stuck sitting with the preacher? Oh, and what's my language been like all this time? Oh, well, not very good. So, you need what I need, mercy. 
You, dear friend, need nothing different than me, grace. You need Jesus. They witnessed the holy, this man healed, amazing grace, and they're not amazed, they're afraid. And they say, see, this, 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 this mercy meets resistance. They say, go away. And here we've been thinking all this time, we just had Jesus in the flesh, and if he could come and preach in our church, it'd be packed to the rafters. You think so? You think if somebody came back from the dead, then they would believe? Jesus, you know, they tried that one with, you know, the rich man and Lazarus. Let me go back and warn my brothers. And eh, they won't believe. Even if someone comes back from the dead, they got Moses and the prophets. They're not going to believe that. They're not going to believe when someone comes back from the dead. Proof? Jesus came back from the dead, and they still were heart of heart. Because the same power to bring people to conversion here isn't a matter of having Jesus in the flesh. It's a matter of the spirit in your heart. It's a matter of grace and mercy coming to the dead place of our lives and bringing resurrection. It's grace and mercy coming to the dead place, the haunted place, the place of tombs in our souls, and bringing mercy to heal and save and make alive. The one naked now clothed, the one out of his mind in his right mind, through Jesus Christ, the one merciful. How wonderful. And yet this unbelief is afraid and says, go away. Well, it seems like Jesus is way too accommodating. He's not really, as we'll see, but we shouldn't be surprised by this response because a culture, a person, a community, a family, a tribe is going to live for something. And if people do not bend the knee for King Jesus and welcome his reign and his rule through his word and his spirit according to his truth, if they don't bend the knee to that, then they're going to live by and surrender to some other lord, some other rule, some other reign, some other standard. It's, there's no such thing as neutral turf. Now people, you know, they're just they're not, not, not against Jesus and not for No, if you're not for him, you're against him. You're not surrendered to him. You're not living for him. You're not honoring him. You can be polite toward him. But politeness isn't faith and isn't surrender and isn't seeking life in him. So what does Jesus find? He finds demons. He finds apostasy. He finds uh, fear, and he finds resistance. Go away. And we reach out with the gospel, and we can find the same things. We see sin-tattered people who have broken lives. We have 
children. Hopefully God will send some of them here that we can bless with the vacation Bible school program. You have, you have even tender young lives that are broken and torn by sin. Maybe they're parental sin. Maybe struggles at school. Maybe we can't even calculate it all. And what do they need? They need mercy to come to their side, to their block, to their home, to their heart, to their life. And Jesus calls us to be that agent. So we find that, and we find then fear, where Jesus would do his work. You know, it can be very scary if one spouse comes to faith and another one doesn't. What is going on with my husband? What? He lost his mind? Some people testify to that, right? But you keep praying that mercy would come to the other partner. And where there's a sin-tattered marriage, that there would be healing. And where there's sin-tattered parenting, there would be order and love and nurture. And where there's the sin-tatteredness of, of hostility and unforgiveness and enmity and bearing grudges, that there could be forgiveness and reconciliation. And thus outright resistance. It's still true. We still meet with resistance. Any pastor who's counseled a hard-hearted person I remember I counseled a young man once who had almost died in a car wreck because of heavy drinking and carousing, so he's all bruised and damaged and so forth. And I'm trying to say, hey, this is a wake-up call, right? This is God giving you a chance to repent of this lifestyle and habits and, you know, you've been spared, now go forward. I remember coming home, talking to my wife, and I said something like, I could have talked to a cow that would give, you know, they're, they're, you know, milk cow just staring at you. I could have zero. I mean, I, I might, might as well talk to this curtain and ask the curtain to love me or to love Jesus. It just, he was like an inanimate object. He was so hard of heart and cold and turned off. But See, that's the person who needs mercy to come into his life. That You say, well, that's a big fat dead end, right? It is. Humanly, it is, of course. But so is demon man. That's a dead end, too. And isn't the resistance go away? Isn't that a big fat dead end? It seems so, but keep going. Because they... The, the whole thing here ends in wonder. The disciples had witnessed Jesus calm the storm, and it ends in wonder, marvel, amazement. Keep reading here. What happens? Well, demon-possessed, no longer demon-possessed, healed from demon-possession man, begs to come along with Jesus. That's very predictable. The one who healed me, my life is put back. The dead end is opened up to a new highway, a new road, a new future. There's hope. 
And he's the Lord and giver of life. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Jesus had called all kinds of people to follow him. Well, I got some oxen. Well, you know, I, 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 I got to do that. All sorts of excuses. Here's one who wants to follow. No, you, no, you stay here. And he gives him a great commission. He didn't let it. He says, you go home. You go home to your family. Go home to mom and dad who weep tears, no doubt, and thought my son is hopeless. He'll never get better. This is just, I'll never be happy. You go home to your family. You show them what God has done. Show the amazing grace that heals and takes dead ends and makes new beginnings. Show them what, how mercy comes to a sin-tattered world, to a sin-tattered life like yours. Go show yourself. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. No deserving. No, I get that. But we don't deserve it either. The, the faster the church can get over thinking that we deserve it and they don't, and that's why we believe, if we can't get past that, we're never going to make headway as church. Because it's ungodly. It's wrong. It's false. We don't deserve it more. It's just getting what we don't deserve. God is starting to work a grace in us. And then our lost neighbors need exactly what we need. You go tell them all how he has had mercy on you. Now there's his great commission. Here's the result of it. So the man went away and began, he goes a lot further. He starts preaching and proclaiming a lot further than his family. He began to tell it in the Decapolis, the ten cities of that region. Damascus. And I can't remember all the names, but I'll give you one of the names that you might know. Pella. Well, yeah, well, what a Pella, big deal. Pella, city of refuge. Oh, that's odd. Why is it called city of refuge? Because when the Christians fled Jerusalem in 70 A.D., as the Romans invaded to, you know, wipe out Jerusalem because of Jewish rebellion against Rome. They fled across the Sea of Galilee to the land of Decapolis, to the city of the Greekified, pagan place of Pella. And they found refuge. And I like to think they found refuge there because of a man who already, before Jesus had gone to the cross, had began to spread the amazing news of the amazing grace, of the amazing mercy of God that had come into his life. And we are told this, and all the people were amazed. Well, there's a beginning. The beginning of faith is that it could be for me the beginning of faith is that God is merciful to sinners. The beginning of faith is that there's hope for this dead-end life. 
this dead-end marriage. The beginning is that God turns in favor to those who don't deserve any favor. And he's favorable and good. Jesus crosses into Greek unbelief turf, meets demon unbelief, and has mercy. And brings new beginning. Mercy comes to a sin-tattered world, and it still does. And we're still called to be the witness bearers of that. We're still to proclaim the Christ who gives us hope, who loves us with all of our Christian failures, knowing better and still sinning. Our habitual sins, our habit sins, our uh, making excuse. Any, we don't deserve any mercy, but he's still merciful. And Someone ought to write a song about this and call it Amazing Grace. Oh, wait, someone has. Amazing Grace. They heard, and they're amazed. We should still be amazed. Amen. Lord, we ask your tender mercies upon us as we hear how you bring mercy where it seems that it couldn't possibly have any fruits, any success. And yet, it's not because Jesus stays there, but leaves and sends a messenger to stay there and preach and proclaim and be a living witness. Lord, may we be so, those you place in our lives. And we ask, Lord, as your church is called to minister in the dead place of this world, that we would have confidence in you and the gospel to still bring life from the dead and rebirth. Grant this to us, we ask, O Lord, for Jesus' sake. Amen.